Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. The final word, South Carolina versus Ole Miss. J.C. Sherbert here with you on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Lots to get to today. Um, you know, it'd be great if uh, we could sit here and break down the game and uh, all that. And we'll do a little bit of that. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of other things going on. <clears throat> and uh, I want to get to your mailbag questions. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this. I'll give a prediction here in a second. Um, you know, you go and read Tony Morrell's Five Keys to Victory. Uh, on thebigspur.com. That's a free article. I encourage you to go check it out. It's iconic. I think he's been doing that for about, shoot, uh, 13 years, uh, 13 to 17 years, and uh, for about 11 years on our site. So, you know, that's a that's a standard. When it comes to the Gamecock pregame, real quick read. Uh, and, and I basically agree with him. I, I think the Gamecocks need to score, stay on the field, you know, hold the ball keep the old Miss offense off the field. Uh, I think they need to get fortunate with some turnovers. Uh, you know, if you, if you ask me, you know, what players were in the hot spot this week, um, I'm going to go hot spot uh, on defense, Jamie Robinson. You know, he's been kind of quiet lately, expecting big things out of him at safety. You know, they're going to go after the secondary. Obviously he needs to tackle and, you know, come up with some big plays. I don't think he's been playing poorly. I think that in general, you know, just some things have not been going well on defense overall. Uh, and I think Jamie's the type of guy, I mean, I'd mentioned J.C. Horn, but how are you going to put J.C. Horn in the hot spot? I mean, you know, he's, he's been playing his ass off for, you know, years, <clears throat> shutting down his side of the field, doing his job. So I don't want to put him in the hot spot, but uh, I'm going to go with Jamie Robinson on that one. Uh, and then offensively, Jalen Brooks, because uh, I, I think South Carolina is going to have to have, uh, and I probably would go with Nick Muse, but, you know, Nick Muse, let's go with Jalen Brooks. Let's just say that. Uh, I think, you know, you, you look at him the first two games, looked a little lost against LSU, uh, then got open some uh, against uh, A&M, but has to complete the catch, you know, and, and he's not a guy that in practice, when you talk about drops and you hear things about drops that that's been dropping it, it's just a, a kind of, I don't know, stage fright, I guess. Uh, he's another one that probably could have used a, uh, you know, an easy game early in the year <laughs> to kind of get his feet wet. Uh, but there were no easy games early in the year. And, uh, you know, he didn't play against Vandy. Uh, and didn't get eligible till LSU, so it is what it is. But those are the two guys I think need to step up. You know, not sure about the starting quarterback. You know, they, they keep going back and forth with it. I, I tend to think they will roll Holinsky out there to try to get a spark, but, you know, maybe not. I've been surprised before. I've been surprised again. I've been chasing a lot of stories this week. Honestly, that's not been one of them I've really put a lot of emphasis on, and I'm I'm sorry about that. Uh, but I think that big picture wise, you guys will be happier that I've been chasing some other stuff just, <laughs> uh, you know, besides that, I, I just think that sort of is what it is and nobody wants to say anything about it anyway. And, you know, we'll just see who starts, you know, and, and if Colin starts, Colin needs to play the best game he's played all year. 
for Carolina to have any chance of winning. Ole Miss is, I think, sixth in the country in total offense, 541 yards per game. Nobody really slowed them or stopped them. I think Arkansas probably did the best against them. Barry Odom, uh, the defensive coordinator at Arkansas. You know, Barry Odom's probably about a C-minus head coach. Um, but he's an A-plus defensive coordinator. If you kind of look at, you know, what he did at Memphis – when, when Fuente was there, you know, they, they weren't just a outscore your team. I mean, they'd shut you down. Um, and he's a guy that I think can scheme things up. They don't, they don't have a whole lot of defensive talent in Arkansas. It's just him. He's coaching his butt off. Uh, so, you know, Arkansas probably did the best, which, you know, Arkansas success really does make, you know, what's happening at South Carolina now look even worse, just to be honest. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I'm happy because I like Sam Pittman. I thought that was a nice out-of-the-box hire when I saw what coordinators he was going to bring in, what his staff was going to look like. Um, you know, I, I don't think I expected them to be as good as they are, but I didn't expect them to go winless this year, and I thought they'd get somebody. Um, I'm shocked with what Kendall Browse has been able to do with Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks isn't turning the ball over. He's not throwing interceptions. How about that? Uh, so, you know, but, but anyway, back to Arkansas, the reason I mentioned them is they, they were probably the most successful team slowing the rebels down and, and they did beat the rebels. Uh, you know, so the Gamecocks are going out to Oxford. They won a shootout 48, 44 there in 2018, really a heck of a game. Carolina got up big early. Uh, they, they could not stop the rebels through the first three quarters. Ole Miss had a 10 point lead going into the third quarter. And then all of a sudden, Carolina's defense, and this is probably, you know, if, if you think about it, until like the Georgia game the next year or the game against Kentucky where Kentucky just didn't have much the next year, that was the last little stretch where you looked and you went, man, this defense is playing at a really high level. It's funny to say that in a game that you give up 600 yards, but <clears throat> that quarter, I think Ole Miss had negative 19. Um and Jake Bentley led the Gamecocks back, and and Mon Denson had a huge run there at the end uh, to set him up. Bentley, uh, I think, ran it in the end zone. Gamecocks won 48-44. A uh, lot of fans in Oxford <coughs> because that was back when you could have fans, obviously. Um, and then this is the second trip out there in three years. But uh, there's a different coach on the sidelines, Lane Kiffin. Uh, certainly knows Will Muschamp, very familiar with him. Uh, they're kind of in the same coaching circle, I would guess. So, you know, and, and, and DJ Durkin, who was a former Muschamp defensive coordinator, is the D coordinator at Ole Miss, and they've got a lot of problems on that side. Um, they are 119th out of 123rd in total defense, giving up 535 yards per game. Even Vandy got 21 on them. You know, so South Carolina's offense – I think if you're looking for a reason why the Gamecocks could possibly win, you know, the Gamecock offense could heal. Well, I mean, this is this is no now, – now, look, are they better than LSU's defense? I don't think so. But LSU wasn't that good on defense, you know, to be honest. But I think, you know, if, if you're looking at the, at the Ole Miss defense, South Carolina probably – you know, stands a chance of, of, of moving the ball. You know, Kevin Harris, you know, big game. If whoever the quarterback is can complete some passes and they can stay on the field. You know, that's how South Carolina is going to possibly win the game. That and turnovers, 
because uh, Ole Miss does have a tendency at times to turn the ball over. And so I think, uh, you know, I mean, Matt Corral threw six interceptions in one game. Um, so that's about all I have to say about the game. 7.30 p.m. kickoff on the SEC Network. Um, Gamecocks go to Oxford. Uh, I think South Carolina's won 2008, 2009, uh, three in a row against the Rebels in the series. You know, South Carolina's won three straight because they didn't play, you know, and gosh, Ole Miss hadn't been to Columbia since 09. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not mistaken about that. So, yeah, Carolina won in 08 out there against Houston Nut 09 when they were ranked fourth in the country. Uh, and then they did not play until 2018 in Oxford, and Gamecocks won that one. So Gamecocks have a three-game winning streak in this series uh, against the Ole Miss Rebels after not beating them. Shoot, let me think about this too. You know, yeah, 98 out there was the first SEC meeting between the two. They did not win. They lost 30 to 28. 1999 was a slaughter at home, but I think that, that was Deuce McAllister's team against the um, 0 and 11 Gamecocks. It was 30 to 10. Uh, they played again in 03, and that was a shootout, 43 to 40. That was the Dondreal Pinkins. Uh, phantom safety game where the Gamecocks got behind big and then came, rallied tremendously to, to make them sweat. Eli Manning was a quarterback at Ole Miss then. And then the most disappointing of those losses was 04. Carolina was ranked in the top 25. They had beaten Alabama on the road. Only loss was a close loss to a top five Georgia team. This was Holtz's last year. And David Cutcliffe uh, brought his team that was four and seven, the team that got him fired, into Columbia and rotated three quarterbacks. <laughs> and Carolina got behind early and then came back and looked like they had it. And then I think one of those quarterbacks threw a touchdown right where I was sitting. I was sitting uh, – it was kind of my younger days. I was sitting behind the Ole Miss pep band in the, in, the, in, um, in, the, in the south end zone. They threw it right in the corner and beat Fred Bennett on the winning touchdown. Fred Bennett, I think, caught some flack for that from – a lot of people still Fred Bennett was a pretty good player. And um, Ole Miss won 31-28. And that, that caused that season to kind of start a downward track. Uh, they ended up getting to a bowl or getting bowl eligible before the fight knocked them out. And then, of course, Holtz retired, Spurrier came in. You know, so here we are, Rebels and Gamecocks, again, 7.30 p.m. Um, my prediction for this football game uh, is, is going to be – you know, pretty straightforward. You know, I, th I think Carolina's going to have a hard time stopping them. I think even if Carolina had played decent defense the last two weeks, they'd have a hard time stopping these guys. Um, you know, without turnovers and things like that, you know, I think Carolina put some points on the board, but it's just so hard, you know, to pick them. Uh, I think, you know, Ole Miss will probably win 45-24. Uh, and that sucks to pick that. But that's – uh that's the reality of where things at and where things are at. And if, you know, nothing's changed, you know, I mean, you had a bad game and then an open date and then nothing changed and things got worse. So, I mean, I don't know how much they're going to be able to change it in a week. And it's impossible, I believe, for, you know, these days kids to be 100% isolated, a team to be 100% isolated from the noise. You know, they do need to block out the noise if they want to win, but – 
I think it's hard, and I think it'll be a distraction. So that's Ole Miss and South Carolina kicking off tomorrow night, and that's my prediction. They have my hotspot players. So there we go with that. All right, so we've got a lot of mailbag, and I, I'm going to go and, and dig into the mailbag. I may not just end it after we, you know, have the mailbag, you know. I may have some other things I have to say. Uh, by the way, since we've, we're, we've all been talking about good coaches, um, I want to I just mention a good coach out there, Tom Allen from Indiana. Uh, he, may be, he may be the best coach in the Big Ten. I mean, no offense to Ryan Day and Paul Christ and James Franklin, but, I mean, this guy's at Indiana. Go check out their recruiting, and they've beaten Penn State and Michigan. I mean, it's Indiana. I mean, that, 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 that East division has great jobs, good jobs, and terrible jobs. And, and Indiana, if you compare that job to Rutgers or Maryland, Ruck, I'd take Rutgers and Maryland just as a job, not as a program. Uh, and this dude's winning. Um, those of you that are old enough will remember way back in the eight, late 80s when Indiana was pretty good and they uh, played Carolina in the Liberty Bowl. Boo. Um, all right. I don't know. Okay. So Jordan emails in or texts in, tweets in, sorry. And, and I don't know that I – maybe I answered this. No. Yeah. No, I did not answer this the other day. Um, and if I did, I apologize. Jordan says, would Hugh Freeze qualify as a caged animal hire for South Carolina? You know, normally I reserve that for blue bloods that have been down for a while and gone through four or five coaches, and then they finally say, we got to go hire Nick Saban. Or like if Texas went and hired Urban Meyer. That's caged animal syndrome. But Josh Pate uses that too. And it may be a different reference, but I don't, I don't think that's applicable for Carolina at this point. I think if you want to use one of my JC isms, they are in the deep South Carolina is in the deep wilderness and, and there's no, you look around, there's no way out right now. And so they need a way out of the wilderness because if you go deeper and deeper into the wilderness, eventually you get into the abyss and you don't want to be in the abyss. The abyss is, you know, praying you win three games every year. Um, Jordan also says with the removal of Chiante Dan Guerrero at UCLA, is there a more unpopular AD in the country among his own fan base than Ray Tanner? Jordan asked me this on the big spur. Um, I will say I don't know of one, but a lot of fans at a lot of schools get all over the AD and when they were not winning. Um, and I think, too, you know, at this point, the, the Ray thing has gotten so is bad because look, all right, let me just back up. How unpopular do you think Ray will be if he makes the move and hires a good coach to replace Will Muschamp that, it, that people like? I think all of a sudden his unpopularity gets put to the back burner. You know, but I do think that, that if you're an athletic director, that's your job. And, you know, if you don't do that, obviously you're going to open yourself up to criticism. And I, and I think the big thing with Ray is he had a chance to do it last year, and he didn't. He gambled. He sent the runner from second to third on the pop fly, and the right fielder has a gun and gunned him down at third. And it cost you the rally. <laughs> to use a baseball analogy. 
Uh, Jordan also says, I know it's not a slam dunk, but given his track record, especially taking into account the more with less corollary. Yeah, the more with less. South Carolina needs a coach. If they make a change, that's done more with less. That's the number one criteria that yours truly is looking at. Okay. More with less. Now that could be, you know, more with less means you you've had a, a job that is not among the best in the country. Okay. That you've been places where, you know, you got to scratch and claw and evaluate to be competitive. Now, whether that's a group of five job that, that that's not Cincinnati or UCF or someplace like that, uh, you know, uh, or, or whether that's being an assistant at a place where it's, you got to do more with less uh, and fight some big boys in recruiting or whether that's, you know, like, you know, this, this tweet mentions Hugh Freeze. Yeah. Hugh Freeze's entire career is that based on that, you know, he's not, he's, he's the best place he's been is Ole Miss. And so he says, I know it's not a slam dunk, but given his track record, especially taking into account the more with less corollary, I'd have to say that as far as football only, Hugh Freeze is far and away the best candidate for the job. I get the impression you feel the same way, JC. I think, I think if you just talked football, yeah. But the reality of Hugh Freeze is it, it, it and here, here's the thing. It, it's not, you know, it's not something that that was just ticky-tack at Ole Miss. And, and there's also the reality of what happened at Ole Miss and then the perception of what happened at Ole Miss. And you know how, like, on Facebook, there's the relationship status? It's complicated. <laughs> Hugh Freeze and NCAA, that, that relationship status is complicated. So if you're an institution – you have to look and see, you know, go through. I mean, you have to do your a deep dive. I mean, because you don't know what's going to pop up. I mean, because you don't, with all the things that are out there, you don't know what was out there. Now, as someone that believes this program needs a spark, do I think take all the crap out of it? Would he be the right man for the job? Absolutely. But if you take all the crap out of it, he's still at Ole Miss because he turned Florida down when he was there. So, you know, it's a complicated deal. And and what I've been telling Gamecock fans is don't get, you know, don't be like the Vikings sitting around the table before you eat, banging the table going, freeze, 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 freeze. Find, you like Hugh Freeze, great. Find two or three other guys in the candidate pool that you like too, because it, 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 there's, there's a lot of good coaches. Okay. And a lot of good fits. Um, and you know, it may be that, you know, they, they can't hire freeze, you know, and, and, and I've said that if the sec, it, all right. It, so, so first of all, you have to have a desire if you're South Carolina to hire freeze. I don't know that that desire exists. Okay. If the South Carolina doesn't have the desire and then he ends up at Tennessee next year, and he wins big, and whoever South Carolina hires doesn't work out, then that's on South Carolina. And as an institution, they probably need to reevaluate, you know, their deal. You know, you can't go na-na-na-boo-boo, oh, well, we thought he cheated, and now you're hiring him, and you can't do that. You got to, you know, you got to win. Winning's important. Um, unless he goes to Tennessee and gets caught up in a gigantic recruiting scandal and fired and their program goes on probation. And then you can say you've won. Okay. So that's that. But, but I haven't been told heck no. Uh, I think a lot of people that know Tanner and know Castlin 
feel like that may be a bridge too far for them. No, they know them personally, you know, but professionally there hasn't been any hell knows out there. Man, we have not all of our sources we've talked to John, Tony, all of us, nobody slammed the door on freeze completely. There are people around the athletic program though, that do feel it's unlikely. And so, and these people are, you know, know what they're talking about most of the time. So you have to take that into consideration. So, Pump the brakes on freeze. Don't slam the door, but pump the brakes and expand your mind. But I agree with you, Jordan. If you're just talking football, freeze is a great candidate. Um, And Jordan, thanks for all the tweets and the questions on the Big Spur. I really appreciate you being a part of the podcast and and, and the Big Spur and all that. By the way, to get to the mailbag, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur pod. Michael, Joe Sports Caller says, why do media figures like Chris Fowler think they can or should lecture, lecture South Carolina fans about lowering expectations? Is 6-12 and 12 and 2 years unacceptable? I mean, at one point, can they direct that criticism to Muschamp? Well, Paul Feinbaum's been all over Muschamp. I mean, all over Muschamp. Um, with Chris Fowler, I, I don't I, – you know, I was told – I didn't see his comments or hear his comments, but he also said – you know, I was told that in the context, it was more like, hey, you know, it's going to be a while before you get back to those, you know, co- you know, competing when you're in the top 10 and going 11 and two. And I hate saying going 11 and two, because quite frankly, South Carolina should aspire to be better than 11 and two when they have those types of teams. Uh, I'll say those top 10 teams, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it, South Carolina, you know, if they were sitting there upset at Will Muschamp because he's not in the top ten, but he's winning seven or eight and going to bowls, I mean, while he's building the program and getting them in position, obviously you're, you, you need to lower your expectations a little bit at this point. But I don't know that Chris has been looking at how bad things have been. You know, I mean, it, it, you look at the, it's the lowest point for 22 years. And a lot of people outside of South Carolina, this is the problem with spinning into the wilderness. And, and, and a big part of the wilderness right now, South Carolina is completely irrelevant. Um, you know, people talk about them as much as they talk about Kentucky. Uh, so you spin into the wilderness, you know, and um, – you know, you don't – people like Chris Fowler aren't even familiar enough with your program to, to tell anybody what's going on. So, so absolutely not. It's not acceptable. I don't know exactly Chris Fowler meant by that, so I don't want to blast him. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that's ridiculous. And Jason responds on Twitter and says, you're just – it's another college football elitist view of the world. You're just South Carolina. You're just Vandy. You're just Rutgers. Yeah, South Carolina's better than those guys. But, yeah, I – I think it's uh, you know, I don't I don't think Gamecock fans who won't change right now are, are are out of their minds. Now, you know, let's let's say a miracle happens, the Gamecocks went out and finished six and four. That'd be a rebound year. You improve from four to six wins. Maybe you get to a bowl if they have bowls and uh, win it. And you're seven and four. You've improved by three games. You've beaten Georgia for the second straight year. You beat Auburn for the first time since the 30s. You got a lot of players coming back. Everybody that wants to come back is coming back. You have a normal season next year. And on top of that, 
before people start talking about, oh, it's a COVID year, uh, the Gamecasts are kind of a victim of their own success. South Carolina's handled COVID to this point better than any other program in the SEC. As far as people being out, huge chunks of the roster missing, you having to reschedule games. You know, South Carolina, if you look at everybody else in the league and you look at the Gamecocks, as far as losing players and people opting out, the whole COVID situation, Will Muschamp has managed it, and his staff, they've managed it better than anybody in the SEC. So <laughs> talk about being a victim of your own success. So you can't – right now – you can't use COVID as an excuse. Now, you, you know, why you're two and four and you got a hundred to twenty-seven. So, um, yeah, that's my opinion on that. You know, as far as that goes. Aside, so I, I uh, you know, that's my deal with that. I'm, I'm not going to blast Chris Fowler because of that I just don't think he knows. And you know, that's what you get when you're in the wilderness, folks. These guys don't they, – they, they know Steve Spurrier's not there anymore. There's no great quotes. You know, you're not on TV, national TV that much, et cetera. So. All right, we have a lot of mailbag questions in the inbox, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. All right, Mitchell says – I have a question about Gamecock recruiting, this time about out-of-state recruiting, more specifically Charlotte, Mecklenburg County. Do you think the Gamecocks, whether it's Muschamp or someone else in the years ahead, could develop a recruiting pipeline through Charlotte? I have known the area for years, and have been to several, there have been several great high school football players that have gone to other programs that I believe could help South Carolina. I know Douglas Sandage and Gwen are from Charlotte, but I do believe the Gamecocks should get more guys from Charlotte since Columbia is nearby. Also, as a side note, based on my listening to podcasts, I've been noticing you've been getting mailbag questions from various different Mitchells over the past few weeks. Just for your clarification and inconvenience, I'm not on purpose annoying you with different emails on the podcast. These other Mitchells are different people with emails and questions like me, just like being in school where there's a kid in the class with the exact same name as another kid. Yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, I, I don't care. You can send me 15 emails in a day. But yeah, I knew it, I, and I, I just didn't, you know, because I go through them in order, in the order in which they were received. And so I'll get three guys down, and I, I will have deleted yours, and I'll be, oh, here's Mitchell again. So I, that's my fault. Charlotte, it needs to, to be an important part. You, you can't – Charlotte do, does have a good, lot of good players, but you got to get the right ones out of there. You know, sometimes there's some fool's gold up there, but then sometimes there's some really good players. You know, I, I think South Carolina's done well enough in Charlotte. Uh, I, I do believe that had things been a little different, maybe Mac Brown doesn't take North Carolina or they, they don't have the momentum they do. You know, maybe Carolina has some more guys from up there because that's an area Mac Brown's going to go battle you, any out-of-state school, and uh, that's kind of the secret sauce. Uh, up there, and it, and it is as close to Columbia as it is. It's still a UNC town. Um, I remember back in the 80s or 90s, probably the late 80s, uh, South Carolina used to play in a in a basket, preseason basketball tournament of champions up there or something uh, in the Charlotte old Charlotte Coliseum. Yeah, this is the early 90s. Cause South Carolina beat North Carolina one time uh, up there, and you, and you look at the fans – um, and there's, you know, 20,000 Tar Heels and 3,000 Gamecocks, you know, and you're closer to, you know, 
South Carolina's campus. Uh, so, you know, that, that's just kind of how it is uh, in Charlotte. Now, for football, when you, when the two teams have played the game uh, there twice, it, I think both fans kind of the last time were a little bit sour about going down there uh, or up there if you're the Gamecocks. The, the first time I was at that game, a terrible kickoff time, uh, six on a Thursday night in downtown Charlotte, you know, Tar Heels probably had just as many as the Gamecocks. Gamecocks probably had them outnumbered a little bit. Um, but, yeah, Charlotte's an important area. You know, Charlotte going down the U.S. 74 corridor into eastern North Carolina, very important recruiting territory for South Carolina. Thanks, Mitchell. Noah says, Ray Tanner. While Muschamp probably isn't the best fit at South Carolina, I agree with you that Ray Tanner should not be fired. I'm not an expert on what an AD does, but he's not the guy coaching, so he can't be blamed for poor play calling, disappointing performances, et cetera. My question is what makes a good AD and how much of an impact does an AD have on a football team's success? Well, the AD does have a lot of impact on a football team's success. The AD's job is to provide resources, all the resources that a coach needs to be successful and to be supportive of said coach, uh, you know, like, Hey, you need some money to have a big visit weekend. Okay. You know, you need a big budget for staff. Okay. You need this, that, and the, you need some more equipment, you know, okay. You need the catapult system. Okay. You know, everything they need, you know, the bigger picture wise, you need an ops building. Okay. Let's get it done. That's what the AD can, you know, th- and that's, that's where some ADs that South Carolina's had in the past fall well short of Ray Tanner. Because they did not, they were like, you know, you've heard of yes men, they're no men. Ah, uh, nah, you know, just let him go on to whatever job. You know, we can't afford to, you know, we're not going to counter that. Or, oh, no, no, you can't build this. Or, oh, no, 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 we're doing this. Um, and I think different athletic directors have different strengths, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but Ray, uh, to his credit, as far as football goes, you know, Will Muschamp has been given more resources than any coach in the history of South Carolina football. Bottom line. Now, the AD's job also is to make good hires. And the AD's job also is to ch- make a change when change is necessary. And I think that's where people get mad at Ray is, you know, Number one, the extension after 2018, that needs to be called into question, which caused the buyout to continue to be big. Um, you know, there was some promise after 2018, but, you know, there were still a five, there were still five years left on that deal. So I don't understand the logic of extending it to six because most deals are five years anyway. So, so the extra year, I, you know, that's giving somebody $4 million more million if you have to fire them. Um, and so I think that that was a problem. And then I think, uh, you know, the uh, maybe waiting to this point, you know, uh, if, if indeed he does make a change, uh, you know, there was a big there was a good argument for doing it last year. Um, and Ray couldn't see a pandemic coming and all that. But, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, th- that's the issue. But, I, you know, I, I think I think. If there is a change, you know, the person that could benefit most from making a good hire, and I don't know that you can make a bad hire. <laughs> I think there's a lot of good coaches right right now uh, is Ray Tanner. Um, and, and, look, you know, there, there's some other things that Ray gets criticized for that are fine. Um, but I think the, the biggest problem people have right now is football is not winning. 
Football's not winning. Hudson says, uh, oh, Hups, you, Hudson, Hudson, you ask about the Chris Fowler thing. I've already answered that on Twitter. You know, I, I know it got under your skin, and, and I, I, don't, I don't think your expectations are too high. I've mentioned that. $50 million on ops, $20 million stadium. Res- 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 yeah. You know, he's talking about Chris Fowler and, and lowering expectations. I mean, what, what, I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I just, uh, I mean, as far as Fowler goes, because th- this is not, I mean, what are you supposed to lower your expectations to? Oh, we hope to get to a bowl. There's not a school in the SEC outside of Vanderbilt that has those expectations. So, you know, like I said, I, I was told the context was not as bad as it sounded. He was more talking or, or Talking about, you know, the glory, getting back to the glory years. But, uh, you know, that's certainly, you know, you're not even to the first year of the Brad Scott era right now. So I appreciate it, Hudson. John says, thanks for your lengthy response to my comment about the receiver position. Bonus question with Muschamp. Some tug-in-cheek, by the way. I actually do like him as a person, just not as a head football coach of South Carolina. In response to your response yesterday, I do understand development is part of the game, but it still wasn't Difficult for me to guess that group will struggle if you read the teams. Going after Brooks for help at wide receiver. Transferred from a D2 school nobody's heard of typically at a good sign. I I, I think that stuff, just kind of knowing how personnel works. I mean, you can get you can actually get some good players from lower levels. Doty getting time at wide receiver. I think they probably should have kept Doty at receiver. If, if you're not going to – I mean, COVID or not, if, if you're not going to – I mean, I, you know, I just don't understand the concept of saving guys. Let's get him ready for next year and all that. When you're not getting it, you're probably not getting another year if things go south. You know, maybe they didn't think that. But I would have kept Odie at receiver, taking the quarterback out of his, you know, use him as a wildcat guy, have, have two, three plays at quarterback, he can get down and go. And look, if something happened to Hill and Helensky – then, you know, you're Kentucky last year where Lynn Bowden played quarterback. I mean, how bad can it be? Um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, I think that's it. Ortre Smith opting out. You know, I didn't think that was a big deal because I, I have serious concerns if Ortre's ever going to make it back because of his knee. Um, those four factors, plus watching the group at the end of last year, had me highly concerned. Your optimism, though, came from your contacts inside the program but it does seem to be a consistent problem. We hear one thing from practice, but it doesn't translate to game day. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to address that practice. Okay. So, so here's the difference. And, and I understand people get excited. Practice reports are based on who is going to play and start like, okay, so this guy's doing really well in practice. Well, that means he's probably going to start and play. Or maybe not. You know, maybe somebody's better than him and he just had a good practice. Um, with this staff, sometimes that happens. But what I was looking at was, okay, number one, Josh Van is now sixth, and so these guys have passed him. Uh, I thought they'd get a lot more out of Joyner, a lot more out of Leggett. Brooks could come in and be a number three guy. And I've all, and as, as I really I was right about this, Shai Smith did step up. You know, he, he is able to be a number one guy. Well, we hadn't, I hadn't heard Xavier Leggett's name in weeks. <laughs> Joyner can't get open. He's really he's really good at 
you know, the reverse, which I think they should probably get him uh, the ball more. They moved Doty back. Um, so you really have, you have, you still have, so Josh Van's still third, probably second, you know? So what can the staff do different to close the gap between practice and game day? I think you just, uh, that's the, the white whale of Ahab when it comes to the Will Muschamp era, both here and at Florida. Um, multiple times you have referenced the Florida loss in 2018 as the turning point, which I agree with. Muschamp doesn't handle success well nor does he rebound from adversity well consistently. As a coach, how does he learn from these opportunities? And do you think he needs more time to develop under someone else's staff? Um, that's another white whale of Ahab question. I have no idea because when you hear him talk, you know, he he talks about overcoming adversity. And, and I think the message from the staff is similar to – I mean, it's all the same blueprint, Saban, you know, Maybe Muschamp says it in a different way. I, I don't. I don't know that he doesn't handle success well. I, I think that the results um, would indicate that. But I, you know, he. I think he is a person. You know, I don't think when they win a game, he's relaxing ne- the next week and you know ha- having giving guys ice cream and and telling them I ah, don't worry about these guys. You know, I, I don't know. I, you know, th- those are all questions that I think will be answered in time. But like like I put on the board yesterday in my AMA on the big spur, you know, I, I, I've talked to players, parents, coaches, staff members, recruiting analysts, media members, people, NFL scouts um, from, from Austin, Texas, to Gainesville, Florida, to Columbia, South Carolina, to Auburn, Alabama and all points in between that know and have worked with Will Muschamp. And usually when, when, when a guy knows that many people and, and you know that many people that know the guy, there's something that comes up. Ah, he's doing it again. You know, he's messing this up. He's, you know, he's doing that, doing that. There, there's nothing to point to. Well, is he, is he too tight? No, he does this, this, and this. Well, is he too loose? No, he does this, this, and this. Well, well, well you know, can he, can he just not develop players? No, no. I look at all these individual guys that he's trained up and they go to the NFL and, you know, they're playing and then playing better than they did at South Carolina individually. Well, can he not recruit? No, no. Look at the recruiting battles he's won and then and, and the talent, you know, and you, and you look. I know for Gamecock fans, you're probably going to have to wait to see this uh, until next year, probably. Uh, but, you know, look at Florida when he left. You know, McIlwain strolls in there, probably not a really good coach, strolls in there and wins the division two years in a row because he got those guys to gel as a team. You know, and, and nobody can answer that. People that I trust, people that people that don't, you know, they're not even like friends with the guy. It's not like, oh, let's just keep this secret because I don't want to throw him under the bus. No. You know, they just have worked with him and know him. There are no answers, you know, there are more answers as to why Steve Spurrier sometimes would lose inexplicable games out there in college football world than there are as to why Will Muschamp struggles. Like specifics, not just, oh, he's not that good of a coach. You know, not just, oh, he sucks, you know, like some people want to say. Well, well why? Why? Because, you, you know, you look at the – you check the boxes, you know, what makes a good coach usually – and it's not there, so um, I uh, 
so yeah, that's the deal there. But thanks, John. Thanks for the great email and, and all that. So Cartwright says, way too early for coaching search talk, but I think I'll play along. I think it's crazy. I've only heard Andy Staples talking about us going after Tony Elliott. I think Tony Elliott would probably pick up the phone if South Carolina called. I just, you know, you just, I can't see that happening. Um, look, I get that we hate Clemson. I hate Clemson too, but we get the last laugh if we threw the kitchen sink at Elliott or Venables. You know, I, you know, Venables because, I, you know, Tony Elliott played at Clemson. You know, I just, and then got him and began beating Clemson somewhere down the road. I have disdain for all the coaches there too, but winning solves everything. Um, the question shouldn't be if we want him, but would they want us? I, I, I've been told Venables probably isn't a guy Carolina would look at. Probably Tony Elliott isn't a guy they'd look at either, but the Elliott, you know, Elliott's kind of like from what I've been told about his, you know, is he gonna go be a coach somewhere or something? Um he's he's kind of wants to stay in the in the neighborhood. So, so, so that's the deal. You know, he, he don't want to go to, you know, he wants North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia as states, maybe Georgia. That's just what I've been told from Clemson people. So obviously <laughs> if you want a job, you can go to South Carolina. I would not, I would not entertain this for one reason, because, you know, number one, Carolina doesn't have to worry about Clemson this year, you know, taking a stomping, you know, let them go be Clemson, and 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 you don't want to give them like an off the field victory, over, you know, because you know how that goes up there. You know, all of a sudden there's a leaked story that Tony Elliott turned down the South Carolina job, and I just I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. Not that not that I don't think. He, he'd look at it and consider it. And not that I don't think he's not going to be a good coach, but, you know, it would be weird. Now, I'll say this about fundamentally a Clemson coach and South Carolina coach or whatever. Vince Dooley went to Auburn and he coached at Georgia for years, legendary coach. Pat Dye went to Georgia and coached at Auburn, legendary coach. So there's precedent for something like that. And I don't know if anybody went to Alabama or Auburn that, that was – you know, legendary like that, but you know, and, and I and I think I think Tony Ellis done a great job. He's he's grown as a play caller uh, more than I think any coach in the country uh, from first year to last. And I love what he's done with that offense up there. So nothing but respect for him. But I just don't think I just I just don't see that happening. I think South Carolina can go get a South Carolina, you know, a guy a guy for South Carolina. Thank you, Cartwright. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, okay. John emails back in. I watched Must Champs presser earlier this week, and he mentioned the quarterback was not the only issue. I know a four and one finish and maybe a three and one finish could save his job, but I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening either. What you're gonna see if they happen to win this weekend and next and next weekend, because you got Missouri, is you're gonna you're gonna start to see some some kind of reverse frustration because they're going to get to four and four. All the hot seat talk is going to die down. They're playing Georgia, you know, the next weekend, Thanksgiving, you know, and and so you're going to see some people go, where was this team earlier in the year? You know, if that happens personally, I, I, I think, 
I think Saturday night will probably get out of hand. Uh, you know, it's one of the best offenses in the league against one of the worst defenses. And I can say that they're one of the worst defenses now because they've given up 100 points the last two weeks. I think there are too many position groups that are too far away from producing at a winning level. If you're talking about this year, on offense, quarterback play hasn't been good the last few games. Yeah, I think as a program, though, they're they're going to be fine at quarterback depending on transfers and stuff like that. Wide receiver play isn't good. Man, it, look, if Xavier Leggett's not going to play any better at receiver than that, you know, he needs to go to defense. Uh, and if he's hurt, I apologize. You know, if, if DeCarry and Joyner isn't better than that, move him to running back because that's kind of what he is or play him at safety. Um, offensive line has issues in pass blocking and run. But, yeah, offensive line got whipped the last game, but I think A&M probably has the best D-line in the league. Um, I think O-line's fine. But as as I say normally, though, you know, it's unrealistic to think your O-line ain't going to have games where they get whipped. That's not a recruiting or systemic issue. That's just you get whipped sometimes. Our interior defensive line isn't playing too well overall, though I'd like to point out the Pickens is starting to come on. And Jabari Ellis had some disruptive plays last game. I think that's your duo there. And honest to God, if they're going to line up and run it at you, and, and he, even even Ole Miss, and I don't know what they'll do with I mean, I'd, I'd slide Kier out to defensive end. As good as Jones is, Staley just isn't good enough at linebacker. Yeah, he wasn't recruited to be a starter. He was – Recruited as a legacy to play special teams and be a backup. And we aren't getting enough pressure from our DNs or Bucks. All of a sudden, that's the case. Yeah, Enig Barre started off good, but not now. Uh, Jordan Birch continues to, to play. Probably, you know, hopefully he can come on. But I fear there's just too much to try to fix at this point to finish above 500 our last four games. You tend to agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening. I mean, you're going to have to get – like a dramatic turnaround, you know, and the, the problem, the problem is going to be is that there could be some, some fool's gold coming because like I said, if Ole Miss screws it up, there's a lot of interceptions and Gamecocks can stay on the field, mash them. The Gamecocks can win the game. It's 2020. Look at the results. Look at the results around the league. A lot of surprises. Okay. Uh, and then Missouri's coming to town and they're not very good. So then you're sitting there at four and four with Georgia coming in and you still got a shot to get to a bowl if you can beat Georgia or Kentucky. And if they beat, you know, if they win the next two and beat Georgia and then lose to Kentucky, but they still get to a bowl, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he's going anywhere. But he will have uh, Tommy Bowden level. Remember Tommy Bowden in 03? They went up and got beat by Wake Forest 45-17, and everybody's talking about him being gone. And then they rallied and turned the season completely around, ended up beating the game. Beat, beat, they beat Florida State and Papa Bowden. They beat the Gamecocks 63-17. to And then they went to the Peach Bowl and beat Tennessee. Charlie Whitehurst was playing like a Heisman winner. Um. And uh, Clemson finished nine and four that year, and extended Tommy Bowden, and that 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 era lasted another four and a half years, uh, and then then they eventually fired him. So, so it would take that kind of turnaround if you guys remember the Bowden era. 
Jason says, JC, love the podcast. Keep that up. I think it was on Keith's podcast, but is Napier the coach that Brad Long had an issue with? Uh, they Look, man, that staff when Long was there and the Clemson staff when Napier was there, they, they had a lot of battles. Let's just say that. And, you know, there is some irony that Billy Napier wants the South Carolina job, but – uh, that doesn't that doesn't really impact anything. That was that was a long time ago. Um, I don't know that it should impact anything. Uh, but but I, it, and I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear the long thing on Keys or and I know he goes on with Eric sometimes too. I haven't heard those interviews. So I I would I would hesitate to comment beyond that because I didn't hear what exactly was said. Uh, another question is. Uh, is assuming a change is made. How does the new one-time transfer rule change the rebuild? Because like you say, it will work both ways. Look, man, that's, that's the great unknown. And the problem is nobody really knows what the heck will happen because when they did the early signing day, everybody was like, well, maybe 15% of the kids will sign. And it wasn't, it was 85%. So I think a lot of people are like, ah, now most kids will stick. Well, you never know. Uh, with COVID, with everything like that, and and with the fact that everybody got a red shirt this past year, and you don't know what kind of limits they're going to put on scholarships, I mean, it could get crazy. I mean, it could get really crazy. Um, Jason says, I think it could benefit us more than hurt if the guys stay. Yeah, I think, you know, you add some receivers, stuff like that. I do think the one good thing Muschamp has done, the Muschamp has done is the old school uniforms, Love how they look. It's not much, but got to find positives when they have them. I like the old school, like the throwback Gamecocks looking uniforms. I, I'm not a fan of switching it up every single week, uh, especially when it rotates to like the garnet jerseys and black pants or black pants or jerseys and garnet I, and then the black helmet. I mean, I, sometimes you look like Texas Tech. Sometimes you look like Purdue road uniforms with the black helmets and the, you know, I, I kind of would like to see him stick with, you know, garnet or black jerseys at home with white. Uh, uh, you know, let me rephrase that. Either wear the throwbacks or wear the uniforms you did during Spurrier with garnet, white, white pants, or and sometimes black jerseys if you need them. Have the all black when you want to go that look. And have the big game garnets when you want to go that look. And we're the stormtroopers on the road every single game like Auburn. And I think, you know, I, I think I'd like that better. You know, don't, don't just vote on it. And I mean, I, I, I don't – I understand. And, look, if recruits and players like it, then it doesn't matter what I think about the uniforms. I mean, honestly. But I, I just – you know, something's just – I mean, it's, I guess it's been five years of this, and something just jars me sometimes when I – I'm like, oh God, Lord, what who? Wow, Texas Tech, you know, that kind of thing. Of course, they they won the biggest game they've won this year against Auburn, looking like Texas Tech. Derek says, hypothetical JC Clemson does not make the playoff. Gamecocks finish two and eight and let go of Mice Champ. Would there be any appetite on either side to face each other at a bowl game? Probably not. <laughs> uh not at two and eight with an interim coach. Uh, versus a non-playoff Clemson team. 
but maybe it's 2020. Anything can happen. Um, now let's say Clemson doesn't make the playoff and Carolina is at like, you know, let's say they went out and go six and four. Uh, I, at that point, would you, you look into it? Maybe at the, um, I, mean, I don't know. Would you play in the the belt? The belt bowl is not a SEC ACC bowl this year. It'd have to be one of the SEC the Gator Bowl. Would you play Clemson, Carolina, and Jacksonville? Interesting concept. I think Clemson would, you know, especially if Trevor Lawrence is playing, stomp the Gamecocks a new one. <laughs> but uh, I would still like to see it play. But if it's you know if it's a bad bad deal for the Gamecocks. I don't think they're going to any bowl. I think they're getting the new coach in and starting the uh, the new era. Andrew says, just wondering if you can explain why Muschamp will be retained if we finish 5-5. Five and five. Not sure when the bar was lowered that much. In year five, going 500 seems like a huge failure. Failure, not directly frustration at you, but you mentioned on the last episode that going 5-5 five and five would be this team's ceiling, thus an accomplishment. Um, okay. So when, when they brought him back last year and they brought in Bobo, my opinion was this, if so, so since they did that, okay. So since they did that and they said, well, here's how we're going to, we're going to ride or die with Muschamp. I'm like, well, you know, you're losing some of your best players, you know, you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, you know, if the schedule's still kind of ridiculous, you know, right now, if it were a normal year, we'd be sitting here. I think Georgia would have been last week and LSU would be forthcoming. Um, if that were the case, and then Clemson in a couple of weeks, then, you know, if they can get back to a bowl, get back to the postseason, you know, then it needs to be – there needs to be a year six because, you know, you knew what was coming back and you knew the schedule and all that. And and so I felt that way. Uh, And that's six and six with a normal record. Get back to a bowl game, show improvement. Uh, I'm all fine for a year six just because I I didn't think – you know, I thought 2019 was the year that you point to as being – uh, a year you can make some noise. Now, this is not – I'm not advocating for the Will Muschamp era, okay? I'm just saying – I'm just giving you my thought process here. So now there's an all-SEC season, which you look around, there's going to be some teams that record-wise, a record would be unacceptable in a normal year, but you have to understand this is an all-SEC season. It's all-conference games. So – you know, you have to factor that into going five and five, um, you know, in year five. And, and, and this is the decision they made when they didn't cut bait in year four, you know, because why in the hell would you not have cut bait in year four, you know, even with that recruiting class, which you don't know if it's going to turn out or not. You know, and then the guy comes back and the team gets better and the product's better and they go back to a bowl and then you fire him, you know. 
so, so, you know, when Chris Fowler talks about unrealistic expectations, I think with this team this year in a 2020 all SEC season, five and five is pretty damn good. There's going to be some teams that won't get there that normally win eight, nine games. My viewpoint is the ceiling that low is a direct reflection of leadership. When you're making $3 million a year, you can't be average. I agree, but you, you have to be realistic about where it's at and the decisions that were made and the teams you're playing on the schedule. Um, and look, let's be honest, you know, Ole Miss, Missouri, Kentucky, they're not world beaters either, you know. Um, but I, you know, I think losing to Tennessee was is becoming more and more <laughs> embarrassing for the Gamecocks as we move on. But, but you know, I, I just think that with this particular season, because it's this, you know, he gets back to 500, gets to a bowl, they, they're not going to fire, you know. And, and I don't think that – I don't think that's completely irrational because I think, you know, everybody wants change and turnaround. And I think if you win down the stretch, that change and turnaround has happened internally. But I also think there's something to be said, Andrew, to your point. If I'm looking at it beyond, you know, oh, it's an all-SEC year, it's COVID, it's this, that. I'm not going to say COVID because unless the Gamecocks have a terrible COVID situation for the rest of the year, they've handled it better than anybody in the SEC, you know, victim of their own success there. They, they have had not a lot of COVID issues. They've had some, but not a bunch. Um if I'm looking at it from a high standpoint, I'm also looking at it like this. If you look at the five years under Muschamp, when they have turned things around and they have gotten some momentum going, has he been able to sustain that momentum? Has he and his staff been able to do that? It seems like every time they take a step forward, they take two steps back. So then you look into 2021. Is this going to be a year where, you know, yeah, they're five and five, but, you know, five SEC wins is nothing to sneeze at. And, uh, you know, it's also five SEC losses, but there's a lot of Gamecock teams that have had five SEC losses. Um, you know, is that going to be six and two next year? And are they, are they going to be able to contend for the East? And how far away is that, you know? And will they ever get there? Um, you know, can they take success and, and maintain it? And the answer so far throughout this, the Muschamp tenure is no. They haven't been able to do that, unfortunately. And that's the problem, you know. All right. The mailbag is done. Um, as far as moving on, if there's uh, a new coach out there, you know, I want to – people ask me about freeze, and, and I want to continue to talk about that in terms of do not – Folks, do not do not zero in on him and then bash the administration because they're not going and getting it done uh, or whatever. You know, I know some of you are going to bash Ray Tanner no matter what. And that's fine. Everybody's learned to live with it. But I, I'm telling you right now, factually, the, the thing with Freeze is much more complicated than just, oh, they're too scared to hire the guy, you know, Um now, looking at it on the surface, it's easy to go and say, well, Auburn hired Bruce Pearl. Why couldn't South Carolina hire Hugh Freeze? Um, and, and I think there's, there's some different things there. 
uh, you know, it, it's all kind of the same thing, to be honest. I mean, the, the different specifics. Um, and, and I think, too, you know, on the other hand, you know, if South Carolina, you know, just dug in and, and did their due diligence and, and saw what they could live with, I, I, think, I think a lot of folks out there that won't freeze would be appreciative of it. I also think this, there's a good chance freeze doesn't want the job. There's a good chance his name was just floated out there because he did a, there was an awful lot of Hugh freeze media right there for a couple of weeks, even before they beat Virginia tech. And then all of a sudden contract extension, you know, and sometimes that's how that game works. So maybe he wasn't even interested in South Carolina. I mean, he keeps saying, you know, special place, whatever. I don't know. I'm, I don't buy that. I, I just, uh, I think he can get back in the SEC. He's he's going to, but you know, just you know, it, it's not something that, like I said, people have slammed the door on. But but it is more complicated and more complex than just oh, Ray's just not going to do that. You know, which is what some people are going to think, regardless of what I say. But I would just encourage everybody if you like Hugh Freeze, and I, as a football coach, I do too. You know, and I know some people that know him that think he's a great guy that would, that's just like all of us, tragically flawed. You know, I, I don't know of a perfect person out there, you know, so, so I don't know that he's this snake like everybody says. Now, some people that think he is. It's not like Will Muschamp where everybody loves him. <laughs> I'll be honest there. But, you know, maybe he's just tragic. He's a flawed human being like we all are. But, you know, if you like Hugh Freeze, great. If you think he's the end, but I would encourage go through some of the other candidates. You know, the guys: Billy Napier, Scott Satterfield. You know, Shane Beamer, Will Healy is a guy that I think. Jamie Chadwell. I mean, there's a lot of good young coaches out there, folks. A lot of good ones. Even, you know, even the guys like Mike Gundy and Mario Cristobal, Bob Stoops, I think are worth a phone call. You know, I, I don't see any of those guys taking the job. But stranger things have happened. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna poop on anybody, but go find a couple other guys, you know, just so you're not massively disappointed. And I know how it is with coaching searches, you know. South South Carolina hadn't had very many. You know, they've had three coaching searches in 22 years. That means coaches are averaging seven and a half years at Carolina. Now Spurrier was the longest one, you know, and, and and so you had three coaching searches in 22 years, two of them. It, it was like, like the Vikings thing. Like I said, you're at the table with the goblet going, Holtz, 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 Holtz. And, and he came. And then the other, the other, the other one next was like, ball, coach, ball, coach, ball, coach. And he came. The next was like Herman, Herman. Oh, oh, wait a minute, uh, Kirby. Oh, God, you know. So that that worked out. That's not an abnormal coaching search, though. That's a normal coaching search, you know. And I keep looking at Florida. I mean, look, I thought, and a lot of Gators thought, when Florida went after Chip Kelly. I don't know about you guys, but I was like, holy crap. <laughs> if Chip Kelly goes to Florida, Jesus, all that speed. And, and I was thinking about his offense and, you know, thinking about 
you know, what they did at Oregon. And I'm like, but it's Florida where you can throw a rock and get players. And I'm like, that's going to be ugly for the SEC East if Chip Kelly goes there. And then he, he, he turns it down. He goes to UCLA. And lo and behold, Chip Kelly, when he was in the pros, decided, huh, I'm not going to run that offense anymore. <laughs> I would have got to do what the Eagles do and run a pro-style RPO system, which would have been a disaster in Florida. Okay, so then Scott Frost, you know, and you're kind of like, huh, Scott Frost, doing big things at UCF, claiming national championships. Uh, he was at, he was at Oregon under Chip Kelly, so you're like, oh God, this is going to be just as worse. And lo and behold, he's a Husker at heart, so he goes and wants to revitalize the mighty Nebraska Cornhuskers, and they're not worth a crap. So the, so then it comes to Dan Mullen, the guy that wants the job, <laughs> you know, that was there before, former eyes, done some good things in Mississippi State, whatever. And you bring you know, not a flashy recruiter, not a flashy guy at all, just a uh, and then you look at him and 21 and five his first two years and Florida will probably play for the SEC championship this year and has probably one of the best offenses in college football with the remnants of what McElwain left him and some transfers. Uh, I mean, if you watch the first half against Georgia, which Georgia's probably the best defense in the country, Florida's sitting there at 38 like the head ball coach was on the sidelines again. That was the 1990s. So uh, just th- that's an example, you know, and, and I know nobody wants to hear Florida, the word Florida in, in any co- football coaching search for a while, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm going and I'm moving to Montana uh, and living in a tent. If, if somebody hires Jim McElwain at South Carolina, not not going to happen. Although I, I think McElwain's probably a, a good good fit. So I think he'll make his way back to a big group of five or power five at some point. Not a, It's not the right time to hire another former Florida coach at South Carolina. So, um, yeah, so, so just keep that in mind. You know, we all look on paper and see that Hugh Freeze, football-wise, football-wise, and again, this is about more than football. Would be a great fit, no brainer, really, no brainer, really. But there's more to it than that. It's not just that easy, you know. Uh, and, and then you never know. It may end up being that you know the guy that really wants it. That, that you, you're just kind of oh okay. Well, we kind of figured it would be him. We figured it'd be you. Um, he ends up doing huge things. You know, just so just keep that in mind that the coaching searches are weird. Cause I mean, would you rather be Florida, Nebraska, or UCLA right now? I don't know. I think Chip Kelly needs to run his offense. But anyway. All right, folks, that's all the time we have inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed the game. Who knows what will happen next week. It should be fun. Please continue to follow us uh, at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter. Uh, keep those five-star ratings going. Also, join the Big Spur. It's a great time to, to sign up for a VIP membership because if there is a coaching search, we're going to have the scoop, and there's already tons of speculation and informed speculation and lots of fun reads. Uh, I think you can join for a dollar right now. All right. Appreciate all you guys out there. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.